Take your Bibles out today and turn with me to Revelation chapter 14. And uh, we'll try to finish out a chapter that we began uh, last week. Looking today at the subject matter, Harvest Days Are Coming. Harvest Days Are Coming. And a couple of supporting scriptures that I'll use this morning as well. You may want to go ahead and find Matthew 13, beginning in verse 47. uh, The parable of the dragnet. And then uh, also Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word please? Uh, Revelation 14 beginning in verse 14. Harvest days are coming. John says, Then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand and another angel came out of the temple calling With a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Father, we want to thank you today for the many warnings that we find in your word that indeed harvest days are coming. The Bible tells us it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. We cannot say that we have not heard, that we did not know. Because you have repeatedly told us so. And Lord, you have warned us that not everyone is going to go to heaven. That tragically, as the Lord Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction and many that travel it. Father, this morning I pray that we would examine our hearts and our position before you and our faith in the Lord Jesus. As Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves to see if you're really in the faith. Lord, help us to examine whether or not we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if not, may everyone... Act with haste, because the Bible says, Behold, today is the day of salvation. Lord, give us a great burden for those in our circles of influence that we either suspect or know that they're not ready to meet Christ. That we would pray for them, that we would share our testimony with them. 
Now open our eyes and ears this morning to your word because your word is truth. And hide me behind the cross and may we see Jesus high and lifted up. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. In the book of Revelation, we see themes that continue to resurface over and over again. In fact, it's almost as though in repeating some of the themes that God is saying, Hey, look here, listen up. I want to make sure I've got your attention. And so he'll tell us something, not simply one time, maybe not even two times, but three or four times. And we see some of that repetition in the book of Revelation. And folks, I think it shows something of the patience and the long-suffering of God. In 2 Peter 3, we're told about God's patience because He's not willing that any should perish. And I'm glad God is long-suffering and patient because I think back in my life when God was long-suffering and patient with me. But one day the patience of God is going to run out and God is going to say, enough. Enough already. Now two things that surface frequently in the book of Revelation are the return of Jesus Christ and the judgments that he is going to render. We see both of those themes in Revelation 14. Jesus is coming again and when he does, judgment is going to occur. Revelation 14 gives us little snapshots of things to come. Now we're in a holding pattern in Revelation 14 before the narrative is going to continue to be advanced in chapter 16. We've seen that too in the book of Revelation. The narrative will be continuing with different scenes and then we'll be kind of in an interlude where there's kind of like a pause. And during that pause, God is giving us some reminders of things that will take place and then he begins to advance the narrative once again. Well, we've been in one of those pauses. Now in this chapter we've seen an advance notice of the 144,000 that were sealed at the beginning of the tribulation and they were standing on Mount Zion with Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation. And what a great encouragement that is to us. Because it tells us those who belong to the Lord, those who are sealed and have their names written in the Lamb's book of life, regardless of what we go through in life, guess what? In the end, we're going to be standing there with the Lord. And he's not even going to lose one. We've also seen angels flying through the heavens announcing the good news and the bad news of the gospel. Now talk about preachers of the gospel. As those angelic messengers fly through the heavens, they're going to have a message to say that will reach more people than Billy Graham ever has. Thank God 
for evangelists like Billy Graham. But we're even going to see greater evangelists still before it's all said and done. Now we were also told as we looked at Revelation 14 last week that those who die for the Lord during the tribulation will be blessed as they will rest from their labors. Well today beginning in verse 14 we see what happens when God executes judgment. There's a harvest. And what we're taught here is that just like farmers gather a harvest at the end of the growing season, there is coming a time when the harvest of the earth in terms of men will occur. And what we see here is that when that time occurs, when that harvest occurs, the outcome is not the same for everyone. I want you to notice with me first this morning the harvest of the righteous. Pick up reading with me again in verse 14. John says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the clouds swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. Oftentimes in the scripture, the harvest of the earth is seen in a very positive light. For instance, I think of that scene in Matthew chapter 9 verses 35 and following when Jesus was up around the Sea of Galilee and he had been preaching and teaching and and doing many mighty miracles and, and Matthew tells us that the multitudes were coming out to him. And on one occasion Jesus looked up and saw the multitude and they were like a great harvest of souls and Jesus was grieved because they were like people without a shepherd, sheep without a shepherd. I mean there were 6,000 priests in the area. And yet even with all of those religious leaders, Jesus looked at the multitudes of men and women and they appeared to him to be like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would thrust out more into his harvest field. And then in John chapter 4, Jesus said to his disciples, Don't you say four months from now comes the harvest? But he said, I tell you, lift up your eyes and look. Even now the fields are white unto harvest. Folks, as God looks at the world, he sees a harvest of souls that need to be reached. And that's why God has given us the great commission. Here's a harvest that is ripe. It is the harvest at the end of the age and God judges both believers and unbelievers. Now I must say that I disagree with some of the main interpreters on this passage. I mean you've got interpreters like Robert Thomas and Paige Patterson and John Walvert and and Charles Ryrie, men that I I deeply love their commentaries, uh, but they believe what we have here in verses 14 to 20 
is a judgment of the same group. That what we have here is the unbelievers and unbelievers only that are being described in these verses. They would say that in emphasis number 1, which would be verses 14 to 16, it describes the dryness of the harvest and therefore the spiritual condition at the end of the age. Emphasis 2, the next sickle, would be on the fullness of the rebellion of unbelievers symbolized by grapes that are fully ripe. But I disagree very much with them. I agree with other major commentaries like Grant Osborne, for instance, who says what we have here is two different groups. First of all, we have the judgment of believers and secondly of unbelievers. It's so much more of a natural reading of the text. And as he points out, there's good reasons for believing this. First of all, for instance, if it's the same group, if it's all unbelievers, then you have a sickle put in to reap the harvest of the unbelievers and then you have still another who puts in the sickle again to reap the same group, the unbelievers. And so it would appear to be an unnecessary redundancy. And in addition to that, the first harvest appears to be of grain and the second is likened to grapes. In the Word of God, believers are compared to grain, to wheat specifically. Take for instance the parable of the wheat and the tares where the wheat stood for believers. Still another point for me is that the main personality in the first harvest is none other than Jesus Christ himself. He's described as one like a son of man which is an obvious reference to Christ. Now on the other hand, the one who comes to harvest the grapes is an angel. And so to me it's only logical that Christ comes to reap his own, his children first, and take them safely away before the command is given to the angel to reap the ungodly. And that agrees with other passages in the word of God where Christ takes away his own before unleashing judgments on unbelievers. And then also the second group is said to be cast into the winepress of the wrath of God in verse 19. But you'll notice that's a command that is missing from the first group harvested. Only this second group goes to the winepress of the wrath of God. And so with all the various distinctions, I don't think both judgments are referring to the same group. It's just like what we read back in Matthew 13. Turn there with me a moment, please, and begin reading with me in verse 47. Jesus said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. And so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think that's exactly what we're seeing here. 
Now granted in Matthew 13 it's the angels who do both harvest but nonetheless it's still two separate harvests one of the unjust and one of the just. Now look at the key figure here in verse 14 of Revelation 14. John says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. John sees a vision of what the disciples saw in Acts chapter 1. You'll recall Jesus had been raised from the dead, and over a period of 40 days, he had numerous post-resurrection appearances to his disciples. And it was during that time period that he gave his disciples the great commission. And he said, uh, meet me in Galilee. And, and he gave them all those instructions. And then before he ascended, he was back on the Mount of Olives uh, there in uh, Jerusalem. And, and uh, as he was giving final instructions, the Bible says he ascended back to the Father on the clouds. And, and, and the angel said to the disciples, men, why are you gazing up into the clouds this way? The same Jesus that you've seen leave this way is one day going to come back in this same manner. Now there's two very important things to see about Jesus Christ here in verse 14. First of all is the crown on his head. And it's a very specific crown. In the Greek it is the Stephanos. It is the victor's crown. It's the crown like the athletes back in that day would receive when they won a race or they won a wrestling match or a boxing match. They would be called up to the judgment seat and they would be given that victor's crown, the the Stephanos. And that's the crown here that we see on Jesus' head. Folks, it's a reminder to us that the image that we have of Jesus in Revelation is very different from the image that we see of him in the Gospels. In the Gospels, he's the suffering servant. He was despised and rejected by men and finally they put him on a cross and they killed him. But in the book of Revelation, he doesn't come back in reference to sin again, but he comes back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and John sees Jesus in all of his glory. That's the image that we have here of of Jesus Christ wearing the winner's crown. Now folks, everybody's going to face the Lord one day, the righteous and the unrighteous. All of those who reject Christ and mock Him are still going to have to face Him one day. And those who reject Christ, they're not going to uh, succeed in getting away from Him. As Paul says in Roman and in, in Philippians 2 rather, he says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so one day even the enemies of the Lord are going to have to bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord. 
But here's this first group, the the group of believers that have been harvested. And here's this vision of Jesus gathering them together with this victor's crown on his head. And secondly, we see him with this sickle in his hand. Now, we've all seen pictures of ancient sickles. A large curved metal piece with the straight handle. A sickle looks like a big question mark. And the reapers back then would take a sickle and they would go out into the fields and at the base of the grain they would chop down the the grain and they would bundle together all the sheaves and and take the sheaves back to the threshing floor and beat them so that they would bust the, 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 the covering off the grain and they'd be left with just the grain. Well, that's the image we see of here of Christ harvesting part of the earth. And folks, it is a reminder to us that one of these days there is coming a spiritual harvest. Christ came the first time as a sower. Sowing the seed, which is the word of God. He's coming back a second time as a reaper. Now look at the message of the angel in verse 15. Here we have an angel that comes out of the heavenly temple of God. Now you'll remember in the Old Testament that the tabernacle Moses and Aaron were to set up was modeled after the heavenly tabernacle. This angel comes out of the heavenly tabernacle and he tells Jesus it's time for the harvest. Now folks keep in mind something here. Jesus said in the gospels that no one but the Father knows that end time. And so here's this angel coming out and saying, Jesus, it's time now to go get your bride. The harvest is ripe. And so in verse 16, we're told here, So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. There's a separation here. There's coming a time of separation. What we have here is Christ gathering His elect together into His barn. It's exactly what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10. He says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Look with me in Romans 8, Romans 8, 1. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And then look down at verse 31 of Romans 8. Paul says, what shall we say to these things? He begins asking some rhetorical questions here. If God is for us, who can be against us? Obvious answer is nobody if God is for you. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for his all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring anything against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who's at the right hand of God. Who is, indeed is interceding for us. Now listen to what he says uh, down in verse 
uh, 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? In verse 37 he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, the saints of God might go through trials and tribulations. We might go through suffering. There's all kinds of things that we go through on earth. We're not promised that we're going to have an easy life. But one, one thing we are promised, if our name is written in the Lamb's book of life, guess where we're going to be one day? We're going to be with Jesus. As Jesus said in John 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. We'll be with the Lord one day. And John tells us in Revelation 21 that he's making all things new. And there in heaven there'll be no more sickness, no more suffering, no more pain, no more death. Because he's making all things new and we'll be in God's presence and God will dwell among his people. What a glorious day that's going to be. We don't have to fear that he's going to lose a single one of those who belong to him. A great harvest of the elect coming. And this morning if you're questioning whether or not that you are saved. I want to say to you, I want to beg of you this morning to get that right with God. Don't leave this place without talking to somebody or praying with somebody. Because beloved, one of the assurances that we need to have in life is that we have peace with God. We've been reconciled to God and our sins will never be held against us. Be in this first judgment. This judgment of believers being reaped and going into the Lord's barn. Now secondly, I want you to notice the judgment of the enemies of the Lord. Beginning there in verse 17, it says, Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are, are, are ripe. And so the angel swung in his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. Now verses 14 to 16 emphasize that there's going to be a separation between the two harvests. Now these verses emphasize that there's going to be utter destruction for those who were lost. Here we see an angel putting in his sickle and those on the earth who were like clusters of ripe grapes are harvested and thrown into the wine press of the wrath of God. Folks, here again is an emphasis that we didn't see in the previous harvest. You know, we have some today that erroneously believe or try to teach that everybody is going to make it to heaven one day. 
Man, I wish that were true. I mean, I read about descriptions of hell in the Bible, and that's not something you and I should even wish on our worst enemy. I've got news for you. God doesn't want people going there either. The Bible says he created hell for the devil and his angels. But unfortunately, people who follow the devil are going to end up there. They live their lives without God and they're going to die without God. There are people who don't believe that. They think everybody's going to make it to heaven. Jesus never taught that. He said, broad is the road and many are on that road who are traveling to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. He didn't teach that everybody's going to be saved. The fact that everybody's going to be saved, that's referred to as universalism. And it's a heresy. It's not what the Word of God teaches at all. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And the apostles preached that there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved, the name of Jesus. You say, well, couldn't you just believe, though, that regardless of which way men believe in, the death of Jesus Christ is going to atone for everybody's sin? And so even the Buddhist is going to get to heaven thinking Buddha got him there, and he's going to get to heaven and all of a sudden discover, hey, it wasn't Buddha that got me here. It was Jesus that got me here after all. The Bible doesn't teach that. If the Bible taught that, then all the warnings of hell in the Word of God would be to no avail. If any way to God was just as good as another, then the first advent of Christ was totally unnecessary. And the death of Jesus Christ was the most tragic event of all time. Even those who say, well, it was necessary to atone even for the sins of those who don't think they need atonement, that misses the point of the atonement all through the Word of God. You see, the worshipers had to offer the sacrifice. They had to appropriate the blood. Now, this harvest related to here focuses in on the judgment of God. The Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. In fact, he says here in verse 18 that the grapes are ripe. Folks, get that image in your mind uh, for a second. Here are grapes. They, they begin to form in those early stages, the bud and, and then the fruit. And, and it begins to grow. And the little gr clusters of grapes get larger and larger and fuller. And then they turn their color, whether they're red or green or black grapes. They, they, they get full and, and they mature. It's, it's a lengthy process over time. And, and the emphasis here on these, these grapes turning ripe is, is that there's been time. God has been giving people time. There's patience like a farmer waits with patience on the harvest. He doesn't expect the harvest to just be there overnight. He, he watches those clusters develop and get right until it's time. And here's God all through the word of God is he's giving people time. And think of how merciful he is in doing that. The Bible says in the New Testament, 
talks about Noah in the New Testament. It says that whole time that Noah was building the ark, he was a preacher of righteousness to those unbelievers, warning them of impending disaster for all those years building the ark, and yet people didn't listen. And here God raised up Abraham and a new nation through him, Israel. They were to be a light to the nations. God raised up the prophets who time and again went to people and warned them. And then God sent his son, and then God sent his spirit. God's given his word. Paul says in Romans 1 that even creation itself testifies that there is a God so that men are without excuse. Over and over again, God has tried to tell us. Folks, if you go to hell, you're going to have to sidestep everything God's done. I mean, think of what we've seen here in Revelation, even during the tribulation. During the tribulation, he seals this 144,000 who go out being a witness of God's saving grace. Then in Revelation 11, there there were the two witnesses that the world saw and heard their message and and they were finally put to death and the whole world rejoiced and started sending one another gifts because these two witnesses were dead. And then God raised them and the whole world saw that. And then in the first half of Revelation 14, we looked at uh, last week, three angels, not one, not two, but three are flying through the heavens and they're preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Folks, mankind has been given every opportunity. He says here that the grapes are ripe. It's time. I mean, we look at the world today and everything that's going on in the world. I mean, like what happened in Boston this week. And then, of course, other tragedies, like what happened down in West Texas. But, but we see all the evil and suffering and men going, running to and fro. It's like, it's like mankind is trying to do everything in his power to be just as rebellious and evil as he can possibly be. I mean, you almost get a sense as you're seeing things happen in the news over and over and over again. You almost kind of have this feeling that the time is ripe, don't you? It just kind of seems to be the spirit of the age. Like, man, it seems like the end ought to be near. How much longer can this kind of stuff go on? And that's what he's saying here. Enough is enough. The grapes are wrath. The harvest is ripe. And so then this second angel, this angel is told to go and reap. Brings us down to verse 20. Many interpreters believe what we have there is a reference to the battle of Armageddon. It's a little snapshot of what we're going to find more about, find out more about in Revelation 19. The battle of Armageddon. Folks, all this is going to take place in that 70th week of Daniel. The Antichrist is going to make a covenant with Israel. He's going to break that covenant halfway through. He's going to establish himself to be worshipped. Go into the temple and commit, Jesus said, that abomination that causes desolation. Israel's going to rebel against the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to come against Israel. 
And then all the nations of the earth, all the unbelievers are going to be gathered together, Revelation says, in, in the valley of Armageddon. And there's going to be this massive battle and tremendous bloodshed. In fact, Ezekiel 39 says there's going to be such massive bloodshed. It's going to take seven months to clean up all the dead and bury everybody. He says right here the blood is going to be up to the horse's bridle uh, for 180 miles. Does that mean blood four feet deep for 180 miles? Well, it can also be translated that the splatter of the blood goes all the way up to the horse's bridles. But at any rate, the Bible is telling us in Revelation, think about all these millions gathered. I mean, back earlier in the book of Revelation, we learned about one army of 200 million foot soldiers. And that's just part of the picture gathered together in this battle at the end of time. And you take all those millions and millions and millions of people in a small area and there's this great slaughter massive massive bloodshed but God's warning us of these things he's telling us to be prepared to get ready Saddam Hussein said back in 1991 that what was about to happen was going to be the mother of all battles didn't turn out to be that at all, but I tell you what, the mother of all battles is coming. It's going to happen. A day of massive destruction. In closing, I want to read what Psalm, Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm that is addressing all the unbelievers on earth and all the kings and all the armies of the earth and warning them about this day that's coming. Listen to what the psalmist says. He says, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. But ha, ah, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. And he'll speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I've installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You'll break them with a rod of iron. You'll shatter them like earthenware. Now, now therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son. Some translations say kiss the Son. A reference back then to how, how the defeated kings would kiss the rings and even the feet of the conquering ruler. Showing humility before. He's saying kiss the son. Do homage to the son. That he not become angry and you perish in the way for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Folks all through the word of God. As it discusses such horrifying judgments to come. The message of the Bible is the same. Flee the wrath that is to come. Don't laugh. Don't mock. 
Don't scoff. Some people say, you preachers preaching stuff like this, things like this aren't ever going to happen. That's what they were saying in 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter said there are these mockers and, and scoffers who hear about the return of the Lord and they make fun of it and they say, that's not going to happen. All things continue on today just as they've always been. And Peter says, oh no, things are not always going to continue. There's coming a day. The father's going to say, son, go get your bride. And he's going to gather his elect into his barn. And then he's going to execute judgment on unbelievers. And in that day, it's going to be too late to get right with the Lord. Scripture says all this is going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. And that's even faster than a blink. The twinkle of an eye is that Split second, I look at somebody and I, and I just immediately as I look at them, I recognize who they are. That's the twinkle of an eye. And so the scripture is emphasizing to us, be ready. Be in that first harvest where the Son of Man comes with his sickle and gathers his children. Don't put it off and wait. Don't be one of these that says, oh, I've got time, I've got time. I think that's the great lie of the devil. You've got time. People being convinced, you know what, i got all the time in the world. No, you don't. In fact, even if the coming of the Lord is delayed, you don't know but what you want be ushered out into eternity this afternoon. Life is a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. Be ready. And if you're ready, it doesn't matter when it happens. Because you're ready. So then the timing of it all kind of becomes beside the point. Because you're ready to meet the Lord today or 10 years from now if that, it happens then. Be ready. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me this morning? I want you to stop and think about something with me today. Think of that moment in time. Folks, it's going to happen. Think of that moment in time that all of a sudden you realize that you're dead. And whether you see the white light people talk about or not, that remains to be seen. But nonetheless, here you go. You're standing before the God of the universe. Your earthly life is over and what lies before you are the millions and millions and millions and billions and trillions of years of eternity. And there is no turning back now. You can't go back and redo anything. It's out of your hands. And as you stand before God, Jesus Christ is either going to be your advocate and say, Father, this one is mine. Enter into the joys of your Lord. Or you're going to hear those dreadful words, Depart from me, I never knew you. Which is it going to be for you? 
You can deny that that day is coming. You can try to laugh it off. But one of these days, every one of us will face the judgment of God. It is appointed unto man once to die and after this, the judgment. Again, we've been warned. And the Bible says some will go away into eternal life. And then some, how sad, will go away into everlasting judgment. Everlasting condemnation. Do you know Christ? If not, I would beg of you to get right with Him. The Bible says, Behold, today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Repent of your sins and come to Christ. As the prophet Amos said, Prepare to meet your God. Folks, you've got to make haste. Do that now, not one day. One day has a way of never showing up. Get ready. Do you have loved ones that need Christ? Pray for them. Keep praying for them. Never, ever ever give up on them think of what's going to happen to them if they die without Christ and you will never see them again never pray for them that they might be saved use these next few moments wisely Father, speak to the hearts of people. I can only speak to ears. I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.